Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Um, And if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, again, my name is Chad Allen. I get the joy of being the lead pastor here at North Bible Church, and I'm just glad to be with you. Uh, We hope that your time here uh, will nourish your soul, help you with your relationship with God, and help grow you. Uh, That's our greatest desire about why we gather here on Sunday mornings. Well, we're going to continue today in our series in the book of Joshua. This is our third week in the series called He Said, and we're going through this Old Testament book of the Bible called Joshua. Even though the book is named after the guy we keep seeing over and over and over again, Joshua, he's a new leader. Uh, Moses uh, was no longer the leader. He handed the baton of the people of Israel to Joshua under God's uh, directive. And now Joshua is taking this community into really the fulfillment of a promise that God gave hundreds of years before to Abraham. He says, I'm not only going to make you a a great nation, a great people, but I'm going to take you to a great land. And so uh, we, we enter this moment where Joshua now has been given the mantle of leadership to take the people to this great land. Now, I'm not making too many parallels with myself. Uh, that's, not, that's a lot of pressure to put on a guy. I'm just saying I can relate. And I think you can relate too, because we're in a new season. We have a new leader. Uh, we're trusting God for big things and, and, and new things for North Bible Church. And so we can kind of relate uh, to the book. But more importantly, although the book is named after Joshua, it's not about Joshua. It's about Joshua's God. And so Joshua is the leader, but what's being highlighted here is God's power. God's uh, faithfulness to his people. Each week, I've, I've made sure you guys heard this verse. It's Joshua 20 and 40, 45. It says, Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And so this book really is a reminder of God's faithfulness to his people. And we've been enfolded to his people. And so we can celebrate and anticipate God's faithfulness in our lives as individuals, as family units, and as a church family. I want to remind you of a couple tools uh, that we've talked about that can help you. Uh, One is uh, each week we have given you this little bookmark that's out there. There's one also on our social media. And I'm challenging you every week before you show up, or if you're watching online because you're not in town right now, um, read the chapter first so that you have some familiarity with it before you show up. It's not all new. And then uh, you'll learn more. You'll grow more. So that's uh, true confessions. How many of you read chapter three? Leading into, nicely done, nicely done. Good job. Also, if you're looking for a good book to read for the summer, uh, I recommended this Victorious Christian Living. It's just a great book um, based off the book of Joshua. A lot of times people think, oh, the, the land of Canaan, uh, this promised land is, is a metaphor for heaven, right? Like, oh, like when we cross over the Jordan into Canaan, Heaven is Canaan. No, no, because you see the people get into Canaan, they fight and they battle. Um, I sure hope that's not what heaven's like, right? It's a picture of living this new life, this victorious life in Christ. That's our promised land. Our promised land is a victorious um, Christian life full of the newness, the joy, the hope, the power, the peace that comes with knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. And so this book taps into that type of sentiment, and it's a great uh, recommended read. Victorious Christian Living by a guy named Alan Redpath, if you're looking for a great tool. All right, let's pray. Let's dive into Joshua chapter 3 today. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, There's a lot of opinions out there. There's a lot of voices out there. Your word is truth. 
Your word guides, directs, leads, it convicts, it encourages. Um, Father, your word is so good. And so we thank you that you loved us enough to give us your word. Today, as we open it and unfold it, would you speak to our minds, our hearts, our souls, our wills? Uh, today, if we find ourselves out of alignment with who you are and how you want us to live, Father, would you lovingly, yet uh, in a spirit of correction, bring us back to where we need to be? So you have our attention. Teach us today through the power of your Holy Spirit, and through the power of your word we ask in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. amen. One of the things I enjoy doing uh, is hiking. I'm not an avid hiker. I'm not like Wes Buchanan. The guy's like a mountain goat. I think he's climbed every mountain that you've ever seen, right? Um, I'm, I'm not that avid of a hiker, but I like to hike. And I love to hike with my family. And so I look back over the years, especially when my kids were younger. And even now when I go out sometimes, every now and then during, during a hiking experience, you'll encounter kind of a rough area, big boulders, big rocks. Maybe you've got to cross a stream or something like that, and it gets a little dicey. And uh, I, I notice a behavior that probably you have done too as a parent or grandparent when you're with your kids or grandkids hiking. It's all said, you'll, you'll, you'll put them behind you, and you'll, you'll go first, right? You'll step into the dicey spot to kind of get the ground, and then you hand, hold, hold your hand back so you can grab your hand, and you, you pull them forward. You, you pull them to where they need to be, and you stay there, right? And you either go in front of them and pull them along, or you stay there and help them get across whatever that situation is, and then you come from behind to kind of protect them. It's a very instinctive, you know, um, impulse that, that God's given us as parents to protect. And, and, and I think what we're about to see today is the same thing. That what God's doing with the people of Israel is now they're, they're literally on the threshold of the Jordan River. Okay, we'll talk a little bit about this. But, but they, they have this big obstacle now between them and the promised land. And God is basically going to say, look, look, I'm going to go before you. And then I'm going to stand there while, while you get across this, this huge, you know, obstacle. And then I'm going to come behind you. And you see that in scripture many times. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to come behind you. And so we can tap into that fatherly instinct of the Lord as, as we see him do this for God's people and still really do that for us today. And so that's what I think we're going to look at as we go into chapter 3. Uh, that when, when God does that for us, it gives us the faith, it gives us the courage, and it gives us the reassurance and the hope that we need in our lives. And really what I want us to focus on today is this thought. Every believer can take a huge step of faith by being aware of God's presence, his holiness, and his power. Every believer can take huge steps of faith. You can take huge steps of faith by being aware of God's presence, of God's holiness, and God's power. And I think that's what we're going to see in our text today. So as we uh, continue in Joshua chapter 3, open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. Hopefully you have your Bible today or a Bible app that you're using. If for some reason... You do not have a Bible, like you don't own one, all right? Uh, you can always download an app. We recommend downloading a Bible app. There's a lot out there. But we have physical Bibles, too, out in the guest reception area. Take one. It's a gift. H happy June. Merry, you know, happy June to you. Uh, Aaron's not the only one with a birthday today. You, it's your birthday, too. You get a Bible. Take one. It's a gift. We want everyone to have a Bible. We're going to read all of Joshua chapter 3, and I'm going to come back and highlight God's presence, God's holiness, and God's power. So let's look at Joshua chapter 3 together. So they're at the, the, the front of this Jordan River. They're camping out. Here's what we see. Joshua chapter 3 says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan. 
he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there should be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priest to bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here, listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. You can you know, throw in parasites and other things in there if you want. Verse 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priest bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. And the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priest bearing the ark of the covenant, before the people, as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priest bearing the ark were dipped into the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Isn't that just a fascinating account? It's just amazing to see what God did in that moment. But the critical observations I want to share with you as Israel steps into this land of God's promise is first, God's presence. If you didn't catch it, there's a strong emphasis on the ark of God. In chapter three, it's mentioned 10 times directly and several other times indirectly. It's a big emphasis. And the ark here especially is known to represent the presence of God, that God is with his people. We go back to the book of Exodus. God tells Moses he's going to meet him there. It's not that God has to dwell in this ark, but he has chosen to be a special vessel to represent his very presence. Look again at verses 2 and 3. It says, at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the priest, you shall set out from the place and follow it. They're waiting on the ark. They're waiting on the presence of God. Verse 7, look what, what God says to Joshua here. He says, The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with 
Moses, I will be with you. The ark is a way that I'm letting the people know that just as my presence dwelt in a special way as I led my people through Moses and I was with him, now I'm with you, which means I'm with them. And the ark is a visible manifestation, representation of God's presence. And then verses 10 and 11, look what Joshua says. He says, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you. God's presence is here. How will they know? That he's going to drive out all those nations, right? And then verse 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. This is God's presence. Now, if you're not familiar with the ark, there's a lot of, you know, it shows up in movies over the years, and there's a lot of different physical representations. But basically, the ark is this box. It's not a very big box, by the way, all right? It's about three foot, nine inches long. And it's about two feet, three inches wide and high. The compartment was made out of wood and layered with gold. And then the top was made of solid gold. And, and these are all the instructions that God gave on how to build the ark. Like God gave instructions specifically on how to build the ark. And then on top of this ark are these two angels facing each other with their, with their wings touching. This is a, a, a portrayal of what the ark looked like. And inside the ark, I don't know about you, I like boxes, all right? I'm like, what's inside the box, right? Inside the, inside the ark are three very specific special items. Uh, you have the, the Ten Commandments, the, the law is in there. You have a pot that contains some of the manna that sustained the people while they lived in the wilderness. That's what they ate. And then you have uh, the rod of Aaron, the Moses of brother. These are the three specific you know, instruments that are inside the ark. But that's pretty irrelevant at this point. This is all about representing God's presence. And as Israel was entering the promised land of Canaan, it was God that was going to go first. He was going to lead the way, and they were going to follow his lead. They were being led by the very presence of God. And so this was the Lord's way of saying, I'm going to go before you, and I'm with you. I'm right here. So just like those moments when I'm on that hike, my kid might be nervous about trying to get to that boulder across the creek, you know, and in their brain, they're like falling over and cracking their head open. And of course, mom's thinking the same thing, right? Okay. And so um, by getting out there and going, I'm, I'm here, I'm with you. And so I, I went first, see, I, I made it, you can make it, and I'm going to bring you along. I'm going to bring you to where I'm at. I'm right here. I'm here the whole time. I've got you. This is what the presence of the Lord is communicating to his people. And that's still so important for us today because the same is true for us, that we have God's presence with us. Now, notice, this, this is such a significant moment. This is so important. This is a monumental, long-anticipated moment. Like, the, the longing that the people have to go into the land of Canaan, to the promised land, surpasses that feeling you have, like, the night before Christmas, or like the night before your wedding, like the, the longing and anticipation you feel when you're looking forward to something, you've got all these people, right? And by the way, the, the, the range of how many people we're talking about, it's usually 1 million at the least up to 3 million. So if you average it, you've got 2 million people on the bank of the Jordan ready to cross over, and God's going, I'm with you. I'm right here. And so they have the spirit of anticipation. They've been waiting for this moment for, for decades and for generations, actually. And God's now going to help them across. And notice, Joshua did not send engineers first. I know, hey, love the engineers. He didn't say, go try to build something to get us over this thing. 
He, he didn't construct rafts and send in like the, is, you know, the Israelite Navy SEALs to go like establish a beachhead. It was the Lord. The Lord went first. And they were going to follow his lead. And if you notice, by the way, uh, the ark went way ahead of the people, 2,000 cubits. We'll talk about that. One of the, reasons, one of the main reasons we see that, because the scripture says you, you've never been this way. And so make sure there's a big gap between you and the ark is if you have all that mass of people, you've got, you've got the ark way ahead of them so they can all see the ark. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd of people where, where you can't see what's happening in the front. Like there's someone special or something special, and you're like, I, I, can't, I can't see. No, no, the ark's way out there. So all the people can look and go, there's God. There's his presence. He's leading us, and we're following. And so this is very important. They're taking this huge step of faith because... They're very aware of God's presence. But they're also, at the same time, very aware of his holiness. Let's get back to the ark. Look again at verses 3 and 4. As Joshua says here, he says, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be this distance, right, of about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. What the people of Israel were about to do was not a field trip. Hey, we get to go on some fun little trip, right? This was not, at this moment, yet a military conquest, although it will become one. But there's this moment where we're recognizing what's about to take place is supernatural. It's spiritual. And it's that which only God can do. And now God's presence is among them. And so he says, look, the ark is going to go ahead of you, but do not get close to it. Stay about 2,000 cubits. A cubit is about 18 inches, about a foot and a half. So they are to stay about 1,000 yards, 10 football fields, behind the ark. This is about half a mile so they can see it. And to keep a healthy distance, the only people touching the ark, around the ark, are the Levitical priests who've been given the authority by God to do so. No one else can just be like, hey, I just want to come up to the ark. I want to touch it. I want to see it. Some of you are familiar with back in 2 Samuel, I think chapter 6, where a poor guy named Uzzah, they were transporting the ark, and he thought it was going to fall. He did what? He put his hand out and did what? Touched it. What did God do? He took his life. He took his life. And, and we might sit back and go, man, that, that seems super severe. God's holiness is not a joke. God's holiness is, is very serious. And so this isn't just it's like, hey, God's going in front of us. It's like God's going before us. A holy God. A righteous God. And, and then Josh says, all of you in preparation for this moment, you need to go consecrate yourself. This is very similar to what God told the people to do to get ready to receive the law from Mount Sinai with Moses. Go and consecrate yourself, which basically means clean yourself up. They all have to wash their clothes ceremonially. They're going to go wash their clothes. Pop quiz, where are two, three million people going to wash their clothes at this point? Jordan River. Right there, right? There's no washing machines out there, okay? They're washing their clothes in the Jordan River. And it means stay away from sin. 
Try to purify your mind, your heart, your body, your preparation. No, no sexual intimacy that night before, temporarily. Like, to consecrate yourself is to prepare yourself for what's about to happen. That's, that's a response to holiness. This is a response to, to God's nature and his very holiness, that they have to go consecrate themselves. And the other observation about God's holiness that might be easy to miss here is how God is referred to multiple times, especially by Joshua. Okay, if you go to verse 3, it says, The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, all caps, your God. Come listen to the word of the Lord, all caps, your God. Verse 10, the living God is among you. Verse 11, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Verse 13, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Verse 12, the ark of the Lord, all caps. Verse 17, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Reverence. Honor. We often see in the Bible that a person's name is a reflection of the character of that person. So this is a reflection that we see that this is the Lord, the ark of the Lord, the covenant of the Lord. And, and so Joshua's mentioning the Lord. Now, uh, when you see the Lord in all caps, some of you know this, but in case you don't, this is a reminder of the holiness of God. In Exodus chapter 3, when God was speaking to Moses, and Moses is given this mission to now go lead the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and Moses is going like, well, when I go tell all the people this crazy idea, who am I going to say sent me? And the Lord says, I am. Which when you unpack that in the original language, basically means I'm the self-existing one. But he also calls himself Jehovah. Jehovah. And translated into English, we get Jehovah, right? But in the original Hebrew, they don't use vowels. They just use consonants. So you just see the Y-H-W-H, right? And it's pronounced, does anybody know? It's pronounced Yahweh. But the Israelite people had such a reverence for God, especially those that were in the priesthood, that they would not utter God's name. They wouldn't be like, yeah, the other day I was praying to Yahweh. Like, that wouldn't happen, all right? They wouldn't speak Yahweh, nor would they write Yahweh. Even now, you see devout Jews, if they're going to spell God, it'll be G underlying D. There's this reverence for God. Why? Because God's saying, I'm holy. And so the good news, the part that we should grab a hold of, is that God relates to us as a loving, perfect, heavenly father, as an intimate friend, a best friend, he relates to us as a perfect spouse, right? The metaphor of the church being, you know, the, the bride of Christ and Christ is the groom. So God relates to us in these ways. So he relates to us, but he's not like us. He's like, don't, don't get confused that although I relate to you this way because I want relationship with you, I'm not like you. I'm self-existing. I'm holy. I'm righteous. Pop quiz, anytime you see in the Bible that people encountered God in person, some sort of manifestation of the Lord, what was almost their immediate first reaction? What was it? Fear. Fear. They, 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 when, you, when you're in the presence of a holy God, you see how holy he is, and instantly you become aware of how unholy you are. 
And you got people hitting their face, going, don't kill me. Like, like, we have a lot to learn about a return back to understanding the holiness of God. We're so flippant. We're so casual and cavalier about God. Like, okay, this, this, is, this is kind of a personal annoyance. Like, anytime you're watching a celebrity, an athlete, whatever, there's those who are truly giving God glory. Like, hey, I just want to thank Christ for this opportunity. I want to thank the Lord for what he's done. But every now and then, people are like, hey, I just want to thank the big man upstairs. And you're like, okay, A, he's not upstairs. He's everywhere. And B, he's bigger than big. And C, he's not merely a man. I mean, Christ is God in the flesh, but God as a whole, he's, he's not a man. And so this whole, like, I just want to thank the big man upstairs. Yeah, I don't think they're going to, like, if they were ever, when they're in the presence of the living God, they're not going to be like, hey, big man upstairs, how you doing? Uh, this, this T-shirt, I've seen this T-shirt, this sticker around a little few times. It irks me a little bit. It's that Jesus is my homeboy, right? It's kind of cute. It's kind of humorous. It's so not righteous and holy, right? Like, we know that Jesus loved to be with sinners. We know that there's a, this manifestation of God in, in, his, in his righteousness and his holiness that came across with love and compassion. But yet, Jesus is righteous. That image is not going to be the image when Jesus comes and splits the sky and separates humanity and executes judgment. It's not going to be that guy going, I'm here. That's not the image we see in Revelation. It's terrifying. these people recognized that the presence of God was with them and they were aware. They were aware of his holiness. We should refresh some of our awareness of God's holiness. When you pray, do you just pause for a second and realize like what's about to happen? You are about to step into this moment where you can come as a, as a needy child, as a, as a blubbering, mad idiot and all that but there's a moment it's like i am coming before the living god and there's a holiness there and so they were very aware of god's presence they were very aware of god's holiness and that allowed them to take these huge steps of faith they were also aware of god's power the jordan river stopped which by the way this moment like think about this for a second this is a massive river it's the river all through Israel. You'll see that it stopped back up at Adam, which is about 20 miles away from the traditional crossing spot. Do you think that Israel was the only nation that noticed that the river stopped? Did you ever think about that? Like, we're like, oh, it's just the Israelites. No. What about all the other Canaanites and Perizzites and all the other people that like, hey, I'm going to go down to Jordan. Where the heck is the Jordan? Or the people that lived in Adam, seeing this massive wall of water that had been <laughs> built up. Like, what was going through their mind? We want to know why the fear of the Lord went through Canaan, why people were terrified of the people of Israel. They recognized that God they serve does crazy stuff. And we're on the wrong side of it. And so they were very aware of God's power. Let, let, let's look back at this Jordan moment. Look at verses 15 and 16 again beautiful moment powerful moment it says as soon as those the priests right bearing the ark 
had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priest bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Like they had to get their feet wet. We like to see the river stop first. Can you stop the river? And then I will exercise all the faith you need, Lord. Right? Like don't get my, no, they had to get their feet into, what if you were one of those priests? Like you're carrying the pole, you got the ark, you're the first dude up. And you're walking in the ark, oh, I hope this works. <laughs> Water's going from your foot to your ankles to your knees, like this could go really bad. The faith that was exercised as they got their feet wet, as they dipped it in the brink. And then it says, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. Just pause here. When, when, you, um, when you see the Jordan River now, it's unimpressive. Like skeptics now, they're going to go to Israel and be like, oh, <laughs> it's not that hard to cross that thing. Like typically the Jordan River in its normal state is about 100 feet wide, maybe 10 feet deep in some spots. That's about it. You're like, man, I, I could probably give a good run and jump over this thing, right? And so, so the Jordan River doesn't look that impressive. There's a picture up here of just kind of like a, a, a standard shot of the, of the river. In fact, uh, that, that's just the Jordan River normal. Like, oh, okay. It's got some current. It's got some stuff. Uh, there is a spot that if you go today, there's one of two traditional baptismal spots. One of them is in that lower part. Uh, here's a picture of that. There's this lower Jordan River there. Uh, across the way from what you see on the one side of the picture is actually Jordan. And so there's like, you know, checkpoint station and flags. It's like right that close. It's all right there. That's the traditional spot. When you go there, it's kind of a trip because you're standing there going, I literally, literally am in visual range of where this just happened. Like this all went down somewhere right around this area. It's, it's, it's fascinating. But it's not that impressive of a river. But you understand where the Jordan River comes from, all right? So you basically have four rivers in Syria that all merge right around northern Israel and Mount Hermon, plus the snowmelt from Mount Hermon. And so there's four rivers that converge into one river in the northern Israel that is the Jordan River. The word Jordan in the Hebrew, um, how is it? it's Yardane, yeah, Yardane. Yardane means flow down or the descender. Because when these rivers meet up there at the foot of Mount Hermon, they're about 1,000 feet above sea level at that point, And it flows down about 200 miles all the way to the Dead Sea, which is the lowest spot in the entire planet, 1,300 feet below sea level. So all these rivers gather and flow down. So normally, not a big deal. But in the spring, during the grain harvest, when all of a sudden all the snow melt and all the rivers come down, the, the Jordan River can become a mile wide and a raging body of water. That's what these people saw. And when they came up to that, they're like, there is no way. There's no way we're getting across this. It's impossible. But the second the priest put their feet into the descender, the water 20 miles up, hit a wall. Now, there's all sorts of speculation. There might have been an earthquake. There might have been a mudslide. Yeah, so what? God's like, mudslide, done. Earthquake, done. Or whatever else he might have done, done. And all of a sudden, wall of water, no more water trickling down for 20 miles. 
and millions of people walking across dry land, not mud. It's a twofold miracle. You don't have millions of people sloshing through mud. By the way, with carts and property and possessions and kids and some of you, it's like taking your kids to the mall is hard. Can you imagine trying to get across a river, right? Okay. Absolute God's power in its form. And just as God made a way for Moses 40 years before, 40 years before, he's making a way for Joshua and the people of Israel here in this moment because of his power. And I love how, I love how Joshua taps into that, by the way. When he's speaking about the Lord, when he's speaking about Yahweh, he says in verse 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. He doubles down in verse 13, The ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. What he's saying is God's more powerful than the river. God's more powerful than the people on the other side. God is going to remove seven powerful nations from the land. That's God's doing. He's going to use the people. They've got to roll up their sleeves, but he's going to do it. He stopped the Jordan. And so this is Joshua's way of reminding them the power of God that every grain of sand, every dirt clod, every blade of grass, every drop of water, every inch of the earth belongs to God. Canaan belongs to God. Jordan belongs to God. And he's going to stop it up as much as he wants, as often as he wants, as long as he wants. Not a problem. And the people observed the power of God. This is one of those moments where I go, I wish I could just go in a time machine and just be one of the people in that moment. Probably not the first dude holding the pole with the ark. Maybe. But to see that in person. That's why they took those huge step of faith forward. Because they were very aware of God's presence. They were very well of his holiness. And they were very well of his power. And we can follow their example. Look, you might not have a Jordan River, but if we were just to take 10 minutes and connect with each other and turn and talk to each other, I bet all of us could talk about something that feels like an impossible obstacle. There is at least one something in our life that just feels like, I don't don't know what's going to happen with that. That's just too big. That, That diagnosis, that relationship with that person, this job situation, this financial situation. Like we, we could just make a long list. All of us feel that. And I think what God wants to remind you about today is how is your awareness of his presence in your life? How aware are you of his holiness? That although he loves you, although he has great plans, <laughs> he's still a holy God. And how aware are you of his power? That whatever the obstacle is, he can either change the obstacle or change you because of the obstacle. See, that's where we're very myopic. Like, well, in order for God to be real, in order for God to love me, he has to do this. God, it's option A. If you don't do option A, you're not real, you don't love me, and I'm going to throw a fit. And God's going, maybe I've got option B in mind, or option C, or D, or L, or Z. He's bigger than whatever you're staring down. A couple other things I want to point out. The ark, 
This is where we start to go look for the gospel. Look for the gospel. The ark communicates the presence of God, the holiness of God, the power of God. We don't have an ark today, right? You know why? Because Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the ark. The ark was God's presence. When we see the fulfillment of prophecy about the birth of Christ, it says they're going to name him Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus said, lo, I'll be with you always. Christ is the fulfillment of the ark. His presence is with us. He's holiness embodied. His power flows through us through belief when we come to Christ. Power to have joy in hard times. Power to have peace in hard times. Power to have hard conversations. Power to forgive people who've hurt us tremendously. Like Christ is the fulfillment of the ark. You know that gold lid that's on top of the ark and where those angels' wings touch? You know what that's called? It's called the mercy seat. Once a year, the high priest would go in there and he would sprinkle the blood of a sacrifice to appease God for the sins of the people on the mercy seat. Does that sound familiar at all to you? The death of Jesus on the cross, his blood that flowed when he allowed people to crucify him for the sins of humanity, and his blood was sprinkled in a sense on our behalf because Jesus is our mercy. Like from flap to flap, your Bible has the gospel. You will see Christ in, in, in all of these big stories. You just got to look for him. He's our mercy seat. He's our presence. He's the holiness. He's the power of God. It's all right there. And just as the ark hitting the water, making a way where there was no way, when Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came, died on the cross, he made a way where there was no way. Amen. We all have sin. Right? Scripture says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We have sin. How are you going to get rid of your sin? You're going to work it off? Really? When I get to heaven, God's going to bring out the big gold scale. Sorry, I'm kind of fluent in sarcasm sometimes. And he's going to take all my good stuff and my bad stuff. He's going to put them on the scale. And whichever one weighs the most, that's going to determine my outcome. Seriously? What if you're just one good work away from heaven? Oops. You were that close. Sorry. No way. Your good works aren't going to earn you God's forgiveness. Impossible. It's no way. I went to church. I was a good person. I tried to be nice. Great. Buddhists can do that. Hindus can do that. Any secular person can just be nice. There's no way to get rid of sin except for the blood of Christ. God's provision. Jesus made a way where there was no way. I hope all of you have a relationship with Christ. I hope all of you have come to that moment in your life where you said, I'm a sinner, I'm broken, my relationship with God is broken, I've tried to fix it, there's no other way to fix it, I need forgiveness, I need relationship with the Lord, I'm going to humbly come before this holy God and say, I give up. And I'm going to put my faith in who you are and what you've done instead of myself. The gospel's there. Jesus made a way when there was no way, just as the ark stepping into that water made a way when there was no way. And so as we talk about this, we saw the people of Israel make a big step of faith. What's the big step of faith you need to make? What do you sense God leading you to do in recent days, weeks, months? Is it a job thing? Is it a family thing? Like what, what's the big step of faith that you sense God is calling you to. And you might be going, I don't know. Well, start praying and asking, God, 
To follow you means to live in faith. What, what is my next big step of faith that you're calling me to? And I encourage you to follow that. By the way, um, I, I just want to throw this out there because we have a date coming up that I think you need to know about. One of the big steps of faith that some of you might need to take as a follower of Christ is baptism. Jesus really didn't say, hey, if you ever feel like getting baptized, let me know. It was, go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teaching them all that I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always. It's, it's, it's a directive. And so for those of you going like, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ, but I don't want to get baptized. You know, I've got these issues. Like, try that with your spouse. Like, hey, I'm going to marry you, but I'm not going to wear my ring. I'm just going to say this vow, and then I'm good. I'm just going to walk around life without a ring. Your spouse will be like, uh-uh. <laughs> You're taken. Do you know what baptism is like? It's like a wedding ring to the Lord. It's a public way of saying, I believe in Jesus. I love the Lord, and I want people to know. And so maybe baptism is a big step of faith. Check this out. You ready for this? The crossing of the Jordan was like a giant one-time community baptism. Leaving the old, going to the new. Leaving darkness, going to light. Leaving slavery, coming to freedom. And they had to pass through the waters to get to the other side. It was a giant baptism. That's what, that's what that was. They didn't have to get wet. Sorry, we're going to dunk you. That was for them. This is for us. I don't know what step God wants you to take today. But all of us can take a big step of faith because we're more aware today of God's presence, his holiness, and his power. And if you don't have that relationship with Christ, please don't leave this room without at least having a conversation with us. You, you, can, you can talk to me. You can talk to some of the staff that you see here. We're going to have some prayer partners over in the corner when you're done. You can just say, help me understand what it means to follow Christ, or I need to do that. If you want to get baptized, uh, you can talk to us about baptism. You can also email us at baptism at northbible.com. We'll get you set up for our next baptism, which will be August 6th. We're going to have a big time of celebrating people and their faith in Christ on August 6th, so maybe, that, maybe that'll be you. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. God, thanks for the reminder of your power, of your holiness, of your presence. Help us to walk this out with faith, true belief from what we've read and heard today. I just want to give you about 30 seconds. Just whatever you need to say to the Lord right now, like you talk to the Lord. Do you need to just thank him? <laughs> Do you need to confess sin? Do you need to ask for strength and help to whatever you're going to? Just take about 30 seconds and you just talk to the Lord right now. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.